0: Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we are joined by author Jameis, one of one.
1: You are Locked On
2: Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast
1: Network, your team every day.
0: What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks Podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at Jarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore nation. Joining us now is somebody that pretty much all of our listeners know about. He's he's been all over the place on Twitter. He's been on various podcasts radio shows he was mentioned on on the Pat McAfee show he was even confused for a short time to be a Jason Light burner account. But with us now is author Jameis one of one. One of one, how you doing?
2: Real good, real good. I'm happy to make my first
1: appearance here.
0: Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. And and we're gonna go ahead and dive in and we're gonna start we're gonna start at the beginning. So how did the, the process and the idea for this book about Jameis Winston come about?
2: It really didn't start as a book. It, it just started as an article. Um, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, I just decided, you know, why not? Why not turn it into a book? But, um, you know, really, I'm not an FSU fan. I'm not a, um, a Bucs fan either. I'm, I'm, I follow and study players. Um, I've been studying quarterbacks for decades. And um, I saw Jameis's first game with my son in college. And I just determined from there on out to uh, to follow his career and see how it progresses. And, you know, of course, I do that with lots of quarterbacks, and most of them flame out. I mean, it's very rare to uh, to see somebody's first game in, in college football um, and follow that player and have that player, you know, become a number one pick or a Heisman or win a national title, anything like that. So, um, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised to uh, to follow his career.
3: So that's an interesting history into into kind of who you are and what you what, how you view football through the, through the lens of evaluating quarterbacks and and how long you've been doing it. But what was it specifically about Jameis that was going on at the time that inspired you to start writing the article, which actually turned into this book?
2: Um, you know, as I as I followed his career, um, I just started sort of doing more and more research on him. Um, you know, had he flamed out, he sort of would have been an afterthought, and I, and I wouldn't have. Uh, you know, continued to to follow his career, but as he kept going and and uh, won the Heisman that first year and national title, you know, I just started doing more research, even with other college quarterbacks and things of that nature. You know, in the book, I have a section about who's the greatest college quarterback of all time, and you know, I I establish parameters and then break it down. Um, you know, and a spoiler alert for people who haven't read the book: Jameis does not win that debate. You know, I don't I don't name Jameis as the greatest college quarterback of all time, but he ranks up there. Um, you know, and of course, depending on parameters, uh, you can come up with with different quarterbacks. Uh, like Tommy Frazier, for example, is eliminated um, from discussion simply because he didn't win a Heisman. Though I would consider Frazier one of the greatest college quarterbacks ever. You know, regardless of, of winning a Heisman. Um, so I just I just kept studying James. I kept doing a lot of research. You know, and it didn't take long before I had you know a couple hundred pages of of sort of notes. Uh, and research on Jameis and comparisons with other quarterbacks and things of that nature. And so it became very easy to develop it into a book.
3: So that's very interesting. I have a follow-up question. So so given your studies of quarterbacks, and, and I like the fact you said you're actually not a Bucs fan, you're not a Seminoles fan, because that lends credibility to having an unbiased approach to beginning the process. Uh, James and I have had a conversation on this show uh, a few times in the past, and I hold true to the fact that Former Ohio State Buckeye quarterback Troy Smith actually wasn't a bad quarterback. He was more a, a quarterback, probably adequate, who was in a bad NFL situation. So I don't know how much research you've done on Troy Smith, but given your, your breadth of knowledge about college quarterbacks, uh, I, I would like to know what you think about that stance.
2: Other than watching Troy a few times, I mean, I've never really done much research on him just because I never looked at him as somebody that was a legit NFL prospect. Not not to say that, you know, he's like an XFL guy. Um, I just didn't view him as somebody that would, would make it big in the NFL, sort of like a Dennis Dixon at Oregon, some, something like that. Oh, um, I, I can't myself. understand, you know, what you're saying that, you know, any quarterback, if they get into the right situation, you know, for rookie quarterbacks especially, situation means more than anything. Situation means more than talent. Um, I, I've said many times, you know, I could see Joe Burrow having a terrible rookie year compared to another one of these rookie quarterbacks this year, if they get drafted to a better system, if a guy like Jordan love gets drafted by the Colts number 13, you know, and he's, he's going to be brought along slowly. Say they sign Phillip rivers, but Phillip rivers goes down with an injury. That Colts situation is fantastic. They've got a great line. They've got a good run game, good defense. I could see him having a much more efficient and better season than Burrow. If Burrow's just thrown in their game one and told to swing it. So, yeah I mean Troy Smith or really any quarterback that that has the ability to start an NFL game could have success depending on the system um, you know we're seeing this from taysom Hill you know obviously the Saints appear to, to believe in him although you know he hasn't shown anything yet really as far as a starter but uh, if you're in the right system you can make it work
3: I'm going to take that response as a win for my side of the conversation.
0: No, no, it's not a win for your side, Troy Smith was terrible. Uh one one back back to uh back to your process here. So you you started to acknowledge, you know, Jameis's skill level and, and got interested in him and before you know it you have you have all these pages. So you make the decision to go ahead and, and do this book. Um, what exactly was that? Was that process like for you personally? Were you always going to go the the self published route? Did you reach out to publishers? Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of interested as to how this aspect worked because as a as a kid, I watched my my dad battle for years and years and years with publishers trying to get a children's poetry book published, to which he finally went the route to do the self-publishing. So I'm wondering what your experience in in that avenue was like.
2: Yes, um, I did reach out to a couple of publishers. Um, I have multiple books that are published through conventional publishers in the past. So I thought, you know, hey, it might be kind of easy to just get another one in there. And I was flat out told we have no interest in publishing a book on Jameis Winston. And I, and that just, it sort of threw me for a loop because, you know, there's, there's books written on OJ Simpson, there's books about Ray Lewis, there's books about all sorts of people. Um, and to be told that I, I realized that, you know, Jameis Winston derangement syndrome, uh, the title of the book, it doesn't just apply to sports media or to, you know, certain groups of fans or, you know, maybe Gator fans or, you know, however people want to look at it that way. It applies to like everything. I mean for a publisher to tell me that, yeah, the book has merit, but we're not publishing the book on Jameis Winston. That really shocked me because this is a young man that has never been arrested in his entire life for anything, you know, let alone convicted of a crime. Plenty of NFL players have been both arrested and convicted of crimes. You know, former Buccaneers have been, former Buccaneers quarterbacks have been, Jeff Garcia, Brian Greasy, et cetera. So it really it sort of shocked me to hear that. I knew that there was already issues in the media. I knew um about that. But then to hear that from from a publisher, I just said, you know what? The book needs to be written. It it needs to be written. So I had a lot of fun writing it. It was a challenge. Um, after I heard that, I I just thought, you know, even if I do find a, a conventional publisher like I have in the past, they're going to want creative control. They're going to want me to remove certain things. They're going to be worried about lawsuits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I just said, no, I'm, I'm doing it myself. I'm doing it how I want to do it. And if anybody has a problem
3: with that, I don't really care. Nice. Yeah. I mean, if you see, if you see a hole in something that you feel like needs to be fixed or probably feel like needs to be fixed, you do what you you, you can do within your power and your scope uh, to do so. And when writing that book, when, when going through that process, you know, uh, as determined as it sounds like you were to get it done. And obviously now you're here and it's been done. How did you resource it? Like what, uh, you know, did you, did you have any people that you reached out to, to really kind of feed Uh, some of the the, the main parts of the book, or was it all just, you know, grinding through data and stats and tape by yourself, really? Um, Or were there any others out there who really kind of helped you put the entire story together?
2: Yeah, there were a couple statisticians. Um, One of them has more of a a well-known name. Um, But when I asked him to contribute a blurb for the book, he said, no, I'm not, I'm not tying my name to it. And I said, okay, okay. And um, so, you know, I'm not going to out him, but he was, he was very helpful. Um, So I did bounce, uh, bounce some ideas off some people that I trust. Um, but, yeah, they weren't they weren't willing to go sort of all in on, on the Jameis train because they knew how controversial the book would be. They knew that I was calling out the media, you know, by name many times. Um, and I've said, you know, from the beginning when people have asked me about Jameis personally, I've, I've always said that it makes all the sense in the world for him to never... Associate himself directly with the book because the book is calling out people that he deals with on a daily basis that he takes questions from, you know, that he uh, he sees in press conferences and things of that nature. So I, I realize that you know my book is very con- uh, you know controversial, but um, I felt it needed to be written. I think that it was done in a very professional way. I mean, my tweets uh, are totally different than my book, you know, and, and you and I, um, both of you fellows, you know, we had to talk about that because a lot of people they're only their only introduction to me, their only uh, way of knowing me is through my tweets. And my tweets are much more confrontational. They're much more uh, sensationalized because that's just the nature of Twitter. You know, you have, you have a limited character count. Um, it's rapid fire back and forth, sort of, you know, a debate style. Whereas the book is, it is um, very professional. It's, you know, backed by almost 900 citations. Um, it's a monster of a book, and, and, uh, and it's very toned down. So I really haven't had anybody read the book and have any issue with anything I said in the book. People have issues with what I say in tweets all the time, just because of the nature of the tweets. But they—I've never had anybody complain about like the tone in the book or anything like that.
3: Okay, cool. Um, so what is it? So we have the the Jameis Winston derangement syndrome, right, and, and all that. And I don't think that that probably encompasses just anybody that possibly has any you know takeaway from james's game that isn't 100 percent positive um i don't get the feeling from you that that it's, it's an all-encompassing kind of all or nothing you either love everything about james or you have uh this 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 syndrome that you titled your book after but what is it about james do you think so if there if there is someone in the media or you know uh in the publishing houses or what what have you what is it do you th- what What is it that you think about Jameis Winston who that's causing? I don't mean that from a sense of like he is directly you know what I mean causing, but what perception is is it that's floating around that people have about Jameis that's causing this this disconnect uh, so to speak?
2: Sure, um, a lot of a lot of media and just you know people in general they have a tendency to sort of play God to sort of pretend to be omniscient and to know things they don't know. And, you know, once the media determines a narrative for a player, an athlete, a politician, a, you know, Hollywood care, whoever, once a, a narrative is out there, many people don't stop to think about it. Many people don't really mm. challenge it. They just sort of go with the flow. They just run with it. And so, I mean, I see that even just with, with normal things, like you could watch a segment a few years ago where one host will start bashing Jay Cutler, for example, and then the other three people that are on the panel there, they'll just all join in. It, it's very, very simple to go with the flow. And ESPN, for example, you know, they've basically been at war with Jameis for years. Um, it's very difficult to find a pro Jameis segment on their, on their outlet. Mm. And that, that's, I mean, that's strange because you're talking about a, a 25-year-old, of course now 26, but, you know, coming off a year where he led the league in passing, number two in touchdowns, number three uh, offense um, points, you know, with no run game, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, it's like ninety-nine percent negative spin. So, when I talk about Jameis Winston derangement syndrome, I don't mean just people that don't like Jameis, or you know, wish he threw less interceptions, or whatever. You know, I have no problem with people who simply have a different opinion. Um, Stephen Che is a guy that I get along great with, and he's nowhere near as high on Jameis as I am. JP Peterson is a guy I love, and you know, at the moment, he's you know fully on board the Tom Brady train. That's totally fine. I have no problem with that. When I say Jameis Winston derangement syndrome, I'm talking about when the media or fans, et cetera, literally lie. I mean, I've had people use fake stats in debates with me. I've had people use, you know, fake events. Um, you know, there was an, uh, an example of somebody, you know, misquoting things of that nature. That, to me, is deranged behavior. So just somebody saying, well, I don't like Jameis, you know, I'd, I'd prefer another quarterback." that's fine. But I have a, I have an issue with sort of unethical behavior and misquotes and mis you know fake stats things of that nature.
0: Yeah, I I think that's absolutely fair and people need to be made aware of the correct stats and and you know David and I obviously you know we strive to try to do that for both the podcast and the website you know and not just about James about anything you know misinformation can be you know a, a horrendous tool so yeah I absolutely understand that and you know me personally I've I've been on the you know move on from Jameis train for a little while. I don't wish any ill will on him. I th- I think he has the the potential to do really solid things. I've reached the point where I feel it's probably best for the Bucs and best for Jameis to just both have a clean break and both have a fresh start. You know, and if Jameis comes back, I am more than happy to to cheer him on every Sunday. Yeah, I'm I'm not the. It seems like there's just there's those people that want Jameis to fail just because they hate Jameis. And then it seems like there's also a side that, you know, refuse to accept that there are other quarterbacks that can win too. It's just, it, it's a very weird moment in in, in Buccaneers' social media interaction.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, he, he is a polarizing character. There, there's been many polarizing characters, you know, throughout the history of the NFL. Um, and he's definitely one of them. and. I think you know there definitely are people that just are off, you know, and they they hate Jameis. They'd rather see the Bucks fail, you know, if that means Jameis is out of town than the Bucks succeed if if that means Jameis stays. Um, but I think there are also people that are, you know, such big Jameis fans that you know it kind of enrages them and they'll they'll sort of lose it and flip out on on people that are saying negative things about Jameis. So you know, when I debate on Twitter and, you know, I stand by every, I've got like 30,000 tweets. I stand by all of them. You know, I've never cursed at anybody. Um, I will clown clowns, so to speak. You know, if somebody's going to try to troll, I'll have fun with it. Um, But I try to, you know, remain uh, respectful. And even if I insult people, I have apologized and things of that nature. So, you know, I just, I love debate. It's sort of the way I was raised. I mean, I was raised in a family where, you know, at like seven years old, I'd be handed a book, you know, Dostoevsky or something and, and told to read it and then, you know, debate your point. So it's just sort of the way I was raised. I love confrontation. I love debate. Uh, you know, it, it's fun for me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, and and you've certainly received your your fair amount uh, because of this book and, and everything that's followed it. So, uh, and that actually brings me right to my next question. So obviously the book has become kind of a flashpoint of of debate and confrontation between, you know, two, two factions, as it were, of Buccaneers fans. Uh, Jameis himself has also been a flashpoint. Um, the title of the book has also become sort of a flashpoint, but so has your use of a pseudonym. So what what purpose or, or what what motivated when did you decide, first of all, actually in the process that you were going to go uh, forward without using your real name? And what is the the main motivation behind not revealing your real name other than the fact that you're Jason Light? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, I mean, honestly, I've published, uh, close to 20 books and I just don't use my real name with any of them. Um, I'm very private. I was raised that way. Uh, my dad is sort of like a hermit. I mean, it's rare if he sees two people every, every year. I mean, I'm just, I live in a rural area. I don't really like people all that much. I mean, I love everybody as a, as a Christian, as a theologian, I, I, I love everybody. i even love the Tampa media, but, um, I would prefer really not to, uh, Keep company with human beings other than my family. And um, I have no desire uh, for me personally to be known. I, I do desire for the content to be known. You know, some people will say, well, you, you know, if you want to be so private, why do you give interviews? Well, because I want the content to be known. I, I believe the content is important. I don't believe the character who wrote the book is important. I'm not important. I don't care if anybody knows who I am. Um, but what's in the book is irrefutable. You know, and the book has been out there a long time. I know many media members who have read it they can 't refute a single page of it if they could, they would because they 'd love to shred it they don't like me, and they don 't like the title of the book, but they can 't refute a single page so as far as you know me being anonymous i 'm um, not anonymous in the same way you know as somebody like um, somebody with a, a tag bucks you know bucks one, two, three, four, five, six, seven is um, you know an author with a pseudonym isn't anonymous in that same way. But I just I don't want to be known. Um, I don't want people to care who wrote it. I want the content to be important
3: yeah and that's completely fair. My wife is actually working on on her first book it's it's a fiction novel and she will be using a pseudonym when it when it goes to publish. so yeah, that's completely understandable
0: out out of curiosity you you said you published what was it over twenty books close to twenty yes close to twenty do you, have you used the same Pen name for all of the other ones, except for the the James winston book
2: no i i usually switched up pen names depending on genre so oh, okay, um, yeah, so for example, um you know I've written some some books that deal with like biblical studies and things of that nature, um and it has a different pen name than I would use for a totally different genre
1: that
0: makes sense absolutely, so the last one for me uh i'm not sure if I'm not sure if David has any more before we get to the rapid fire, but the last one for me is you've written the book you've you've seen how all of this has played out you've seen the the rumor mill as we as we see every single year you know the the tom brady rumors the teddy bridgewater rumors the philip river you know whatever the case may be what's the end what happens in your opinion uh this time next week which which quarterback are we talking about taking snaps for the tampa bay buccaneers
2: well i i try never to to just give predictions um because that's sort of something that that every fan does and can do, uh, and I've noticed that in the media, you know, that they'll make they'll make around thirty predictions, twenty nine will be false, one will hit, and they'll pretend that they're you know they got it right. Well, that's that you know that's sort of ridiculous. So if I report something, like for example, when I reported um, Jameis's meniscus surgery um, or confirmed Jameis's LASIK, you know, when when no one could confirm it, um, I touched base and got the green light to confirm it, so I did. You know, if I do those things, that's 100% accurate. Nobody really, I mean, people can doubt it if they want to, but I'm never wrong on stuff like that. Um, so I, I try to either just report news or just try to be logical. So there is things that I'll talk about that obviously are not factual and aren't guaranteed, they're just logical. Um, but I really wouldn't make a, a prediction. What I would say is that the Bucks are playing a very dangerous game with Jameis, um, and really not just with Jameis, but with themselves and with their own reputations. And what I mean by that is, if Rick Stroud's report that the Bucks are going to throw the house at Brady, and if Brady says no, throw the house at Bridgewater, and if Bridgewater says no, throw the house at Rivers, and if Rivers says no, then maybe turn to Jameis. If that's true, and all these media reports that are out there on ESPN and, and other outlets that the Bucks are just done with Jameis, if the Bucks are actually done with Jameis, yet are devaluing him to the point that they are, and, and trashing him. To me, that's reprehensible. I mean, that that's sick. What what type of organization does that to a player, let alone a player like Jameis, that has been there five years, played through a ton of injuries, taken bullets for the organization? One in particular that I haven't mentioned, that Jason Light knows exactly what I'm talking about. And if I were to mention it, it would make him look bad. But Jameis has taken bullet after bullet after bullet after bullet for the organization and played through injuries. So if they're actually done with him, fine. You know, do what the Chargers did. Say thank you, you know, we're pursuing another another option. Do what the Atlanta Falcons did with Vic Beasley and say thank you for your service, we're not pursuing you anymore. You know. But if if they're actually done with Jameis and they're just trashing him for fun out the door to devalue him, that's to me that that I mean, that's like evil. And Tom Coughlin had a great resume tom coughlin had a great reputation around the nfl and he's made himself sort of a laughing stock now with the way he ran things in jacksonville and with them filing more complaints with the nfl than like all the other teams combined things of that nature and now players don't want to sign there and so i love bruce Arians, and even if Jameis is gone next year I, i i believe that bruce Arians is a fantastic coach and that that opinion won't change but if they're done with him and they're just trashing him to devalue him out the door, uh, I'm gonna lose respect on a personal level. So they're playing a very dangerous game, not just with Jameis, but with themselves, with their own reputations. The reports that are out there, which I really don't know what to make of them, um, that the Bucks are gonna offer Brady, you know, possibly sixty eight million over the first two years, ESPN talked about, um, and and offer him play calling uh like, you know, he's going to have the ability to call plays and to uh, have roster control. I mean, if that's true, that just seems so absurd. I mean, that, that would be Jason Light basically admitting to not being an NFL-capable GM. And Bruce Arians would basically be throwing his quarterback whisperer uh, moniker out the door. I mean, this is a guy who has, you know, developed young guys, Andrew Luck, uh, Big Ben, Peyton Manning, you know, Carson Palmer, he got older after injury and all that. But if he gives up play-calling duties for a guy who's going to be 43 years old, um, he's basically trashing his own legacy as a quarterback whisperer. Now, who knows? Maybe he gets a ring with Brady, and and obviously he'd make that trade. But that just seems like a strange report. On top of that, you know, if you're going to give Brady – $34 Thirty-four million dollars, which which is what was reported, thirty-four million in that first year. Um, that's astronomical because a lot of fans don't understand how contracts work. You know, it came out. JC Cornell tweeted out that uh, Jameis had asked for thirty million. Now, of course, that hasn't been confirmed or anything, but um, let's just say he did. So fans freak out when they hear thirty million. However, if you give, if you were to give Jameis a five year, one hundred fifty million dollar deal, which is thirty million a year. And you were to backload it and only guarantee the first three years. That first year, 2020, the salary cap hit could be as low as 18.75 million dollars. That's nothing. Now, if that's the if that's the, what what the option is, Jameis at 18.75 million on a five-year 150 million backloaded deal, or Brady at 34 million next year, you're talking about you're basically talking about trading Jameis and JPP and Sue for Brady. Because that $15.25 million spent extra on Brady is just gone. You might as well wave goodbye to, to Sue, and you might as well wave goodbye to JPP. So I don't know who in their right mind would trade you know, a 26-year-old quarterback coming off leading the league in yards and all, all that he did, playing hurt with a torn meniscus and, and a broken hand, for a 43-year-old if you're also losing you know, one of your top pass rushers and, and one of your top run stuffers. That, to me, seems kind of crazy. So a lot of what's out there, I look at being either agent-driven or team-driven, um, not as truth whatsoever. You know, and when you, when you read a report in the media like Stroud, I would never say that Rick lied about what he said, never. All I would say is that legit sources feed people misinformation all the time. So even if you have a source that's legit, that doesn't mean the information that legit source is giving you is legit. I get information given to me all the time, and I just ignore 99% of it because it's nonsense. So the the only information that I have ever put out there with the, with the surgery and things of that nature, I'm 100% certain of. Um, so a lot of this, I have no doubt Rick heard from somebody inside one buck, you know, that they're going to do this. They're going to do plan A, plan B, plan C, and then maybe Jameis. But that doesn't mean that's their actual plan. That's another way to devalue Jameis. So, you know, we'll see what happens. The money has to work. It has to work on both sides. Um, I had a I had one of my followers tell me to listen to you, to your fellow show last night, and I did. And um, one of the comments David made was that if the Bucks want Jameis, it would be a done deal. But that that's not true because you know Dak isn't a done deal, uh, Shaq Barrett isn't a done deal. You know we know the Bucks want him, but it's not a done deal. The money has to work. So for all anyone knows, the Bucks have made Jameis a long term offer, and Jameis has said yeah, that's not happening. I'm not I'm not signing for that. And so they're turning to other options. And if it comes down to Jameis saying I need thirty. Thirty million in 2020, and Teddy Bridgewater says I'll take 20 million. Well, hey, then there's a decision to be made. If it comes down to Jameis saying I'll take a long-term deal that starts at 18.75 in 2020, and Brady says I want 34 million in 2020, and the Bucks go that route, I think I think they need to have their heads examined because that's craziness. (laughs)
3: Yeah, no, I completely agree with the with the nuances of of uh, contract negotiation. My the part of the comment about the, the if the Bucks wanted to keep him above all else would be the franchise tag. That's that's really all that was about. But that's but yeah, everything you said about contract negotiation and and monetary breakdowns and and how they bleed into the next season and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's it's hundred percent true. I completely agree with everything you just said there.
0: Yeah, and, and I will say I agree, you know, I actually wrote for Bucks Nation not too long ago that yeah, the Buccaneers are ac- absolutely playing a dangerous game because, you know, just as as you said, you know, if they're if they're all in on Brady, even if they're not, you know, after Brady going to Bridgewater and after Bridgewater going to Rivers, let's say their options, you know, are Brady is number one, Jameis is number two, you know, you can go all in on Brady. And by the time Brady makes a decision, Maybe Jameis personally has felt spurned enough that he says, "You know what? I'm just not coming back. I'm going to go somewhere else where I am their number one option." It's it's a slippery slope, and it is a dangerous game, absolutely. Uh, which is what makes this, I guess, makes this all season so interesting. But I do, I do kind of agree with with David in the sense that you know if they wanted to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jameis was their guy moving forward, he would have gotten the franchise tag already. I truly believe that. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's you know that's my own personal opinion, that they would make sure that he does not get to test the free agent market in any capacity, which is ultimately, I think, what we're going to end up seeing with Dak in Dallas. You know, if they don't get a long-term agreement worked out by 11.59 a.m. on Monday, then he's going to have the franchise tag slapped on him, and that's going to be it. Um so, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe they're they're willing to play with fire. Maybe they heard something that there aren't there aren't too many teams interested in Jameis's services. You know we, we don't know the full ins and outs. All we have right now is you know some information and, and some opinion, and we have to try to use past experiences to, to formulate what we believe could and will happen.
2: Sure, sure. You know, and they're they're in a tough space with with Shaq too. If this new yeah, CBA absolutely. wasn't coming up and they and they had the two tags, it really would be pretty easy for them to navigate. Um, but Shaq, you know, I, I found it funny when when Arian said, um, you know, we definitely want Shaq back. He, he praised Shaq. He's been stroking sort of Shaq's ego all all offseason, which is great, um, and Shaq deserves it. But then he said, you know, with Jameis, it's an unknown uh, unknown commodity, and that kind of cracked me up because Jameis is the guy who has a five year track record. He's the guy who is number one all time in NFL history in touchdown. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in passing yards by the age of 26. Number two all time in NFL history in uh, in passing touchdowns by the age of 26. I mean, he has a he has five years um, to show. Shaq's a one year wonder. And when the Bucks signed Shaq, I raved about it. I, I can't remember whose show I was on, but I raved about it and I said, um, you know, I've actually liked Shaq for for years uh, when he was in Denver, and he'll have a huge year. You know, so I'm I'm thrilled for Shaq, but. If either player is an unknown commodity, uh, it's Shaq. He is a one-year wonder, and I'm not totally sure, you know, how other teams would view him as far as giving him a long-term contract. And I think that's maybe the issue is because Shaq should want his money, and, and based on 2019, he should get it. Um, but the Bucks may be very scared to, to give him a, a three-, four-, five-year, you know, commitment. And so with Jameis... I think they would much rather get a long-term deal done because they do have a track record to, to look at Jameis. They have a, a big sample size. You know, since Jameis entered the NFL, he's been better inside the red zone than Aaron Rodgers. That, that's ridiculous. You know, when I, when I broke the stats on a pro football reference, um, he has the higher pass rating. He has the better touchdown to interception ratio. I mean, that's the highest leverage moment in a game inside the red zone. And this is when Jameis entered the league as a 21-year-old, you know, and has played on a bad team for five years, a team with no run game for four years. And he's besting Aaron Rodgers. So, I think a lot of what you know Tampa has said has been to devalue Jameis to hopefully be able to get a a really good long term deal done at their number. But you know it takes two to tango, and their number might not be Jameis's number, and and then you know they'll just have to see what happens in free agency. Um, you know, and tagging a, a quarterback, I, I feel kind of bad for Dak. I also don't really understand what Dallas is doing. Um, and when when I say that is because if Dallas were to uh, Tag Dak, but not exclusively. If they were to let him hit for agency under the franchise tag, not the non-exclusive, or I'm sorry, not the exclusive one, they could let him sign with another team and pocket two first round picks. They could then turn around and sign a quarterback that's probably at least as talented as Dak, because Dak's not that talented of a quarterback. He's a good quarterback, but he's not that talented. And they could probably use the cap savings off that to get Byron Jones. So if they do give Dak the exclusive tag, they're basically choosing Dak over a guy, for example, like Teddy Bridgewater plus Byron Jones back, plus two first round picks. That to me is 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 just wild. So, I mean, best of luck to Dallas, but uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure why they're making that decision. Yeah, I I
0: yeah. can't say that I disagree with you there.
3: Yeah, yeah we, we talked about on way. the show and I I told them I wouldn't I wouldn't franchise tag Dak either.
0: Right. Right. All right. Well, David, do you have do you have anything else before we head over to the Rapid Fire section?
3: No, I just, I mean, the the last thing I really wanted to comment on is just, uh, you know, you talk about them playing a dangerous game, and James, you mentioned you wrote, we talked about it on this show too. I agree. I don't think Jameis Winston for a lot of the reasons you just said. Uh, someone on Twitter, one on one, we were in the same kind of Twitter thread. A lot of people were talking on, and someone said, you know, you can't possibly deny that the Bucks haven't given him, you know, the best offensive line, the run game, da da da. And I don't think we've ever tried to deny that fact, and we won't try to deny that fact. Trevor Sycama formerly the pew report wrote a very in-depth article about that exact situation, not just with uh, James, but also with Marcus Mariota up there in, in Nashville. And I completely agree. Um, I don't think that if, if James Winston hits free agency, I don't think Jameis Winston comes back to the Bucs if even if they come back to him and try to meet him closer to, to whatever amount he wants. You know, we have the reports, like you said, but I don't I don't know me personally. Like I just I kind of look at it as a franchise quarterback, number one overall draft pick. Like you said, play through some of these injuries, has had a team, had a roster for a lot of these years that did not have. You know, there haven't always been two all pro caliber wide receivers on this team. Uh, There was really only one year that we can point to, to where there was a pro bowl caliber running game. Uh, The offensive line has kind of been a question mark really his entire career. So I agree with a lot of those things. And if I'm Jameis Winston and I have this team, if all these things are true, like, you know, that we're seeing out in the public as much as we can interpret. If I hit free agency, I'm I'm leaving Tampa and I'm never coming back. Honestly, like that's just, that's just how my personality is going to work with it. Now, Jameis uh, obviously is not you know me, and I'm not Jameis. And and maybe I mean he he's a very nice person to interview. Um, he's a very nice person on the service. You, know, you you can see the the genuine joy uh, that he has when he interacts with fans and and his teammates and everything else uh, because he does the same interactions when the cameras aren't on as as he does when they are on. Um, but yeah, I mean I yeah as far as the playing the dangerous game. You know, you go after Brady and you let Jameis walk in free agency. I feel like once Jameis leaves uh for free agency, he's never coming back. So if Tom doesn't land, if Teddy doesn't land, you know, uh Philip, I mean Philip Rivers is a guy that's been out there. I'm not really all that high on the potential of Phillip Rivers and what he might do in Tampa. So then, your your options are getting really slim, really quick, and I mean, you might be left with you know Jordan Love or Jacob Eason as a rookie getting inserted into this offense, and and I don't like those odds either. So yeah, I, I agree that I think they're they're kind of it's it's one of those situations where if they're going to actually pull the trigger on letting Jameis leave Tampa and go visit some other teams, they better be darn sure on what they're doing because I don't think they're getting him back uh, no matter what happens with who they get.
2: Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um... I had worked on an article earlier that was uh, it was talking about how Jason Light trusts Jameis Winston too much, and you know had I ended up running with it, you know some people wouldn't have liked the title, but um, you know this is a this is a fellow he he drafted Jameis, you know threw him to the Wolves at 21 years old and just said sling us to victory, And and it's been that way for five years. I mean since Jameis entered the league, you know the defense is 31st in points allowed, only the Dolphins are worse. You know, and yards per carry, they're 30th as far as their run game. And that, that's including Jameis, who actually is is one of the better runners from the quarterback position. He died for, he tied with Russell Wilson for third in the NFL in yards per scramble uh, for quarterbacks over 30, 30 rushes. So, um, you know, they, they, they've trusted Jameis too much. You know, the Dolphins did it with Marino to an extent, although Marino had a much better defense when he was young. Um, but they've just trusted Jameis too much, and I think... They may be making the mistake of trusting Jameis too much now in free agency. Uh, they know that Jameis loves his teammates. They know he loves the fans. They know he loves Tampa, but they may be trusting him way too much. That sort of a wink, wink thing, where you know, hey, the NFL isn't letting us use the transition tag once we transi- or once we franchise Shack. Tags are gone. How about you go test the free agency market, and we'll match whatever offer you get, or maybe we'll even top it by a little bit. But they may be trusting him too much because. Once you hit the free agency market, I said earlier today on J.P. Peterson's show that, you know, there's no guarantee. If Jameis hits the free agency market, he may take less to play for a guy like Gruden or Belichick or Frank Reich than the Bucks. even if the Bucs are offering more. Um, this isn't just about money. It is about respect, and it is that way for for many players. Tom Brady doesn't need money, but yet the reports are that he wants to get paid this time. So it, it's not about money; it's about respect. He wants to feel the love. He, he wants respect. He wants the quan, you know, from the from the Jerry Maguire movie. And um, <laughs> with Jameis, it's it's not just about money. You know, if you're going to trash a guy that gave you that that much over five years, you know, um, he could take less to play somewhere else. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I don't wish ill on Tampa whatsoever. Even if they even if they move on, you know, um, just Jameis being there the last five years, you know, I've, I've enjoyed watching their games. Uh, I love Vea, I love Devin White, Mike Evans, Godwin, you know, um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll still follow them. Um, and if they get a good quarterback, you know, it'd, it'd make it that much more interesting. If they do get Bridgewater, I'm probably out completely just cause I don't enjoy watching him play and throw 3 air passes, but it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, one of one, are you ready for our rapid fire segment?
2: Sure, sure. I've, I've never heard it before, but yeah, let's go for it.
0: Well, we, we change the questions up every time. There's there's one that we make sure is always in there, and that'll be the very last one. But we'll go ahead and kick things off with what is your all-time favorite movie?
2: Spirit. It's a, uh, it's a cartoon. It's a kid's movie, but um, Spirit, it's a horse movie. Anybody who hasn't watched it, watch it. I can watch that movie like a hundred times.
0: It's a very good movie i I have seen it yeah that's that's a good one. What is your go to vacation spot?
2: Oh, that's a good one um hmm. I'm gonna say the Bahamas
0: okay, all right which fast food chain has the best french fries a and w it all I never think of them, and they they are good. <laughs> Uh, Marvel or DC?
2: Marvel. Marvel. My, 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 uh, sons are really into comics. Um, I don't know as much, but, uh, yeah, I like Iron Man and yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. And finally, this is, this is the, the one that always stays the same. I, you know, acknowledge the fact that I stole it from Katie Nolan and the garbage time podcast back when that was a thing. Unfortunately, you are about to be put to death but you are getting one final meal of anything that you want. We need an entree, a dessert, and a beverage.
2: Uh, The entree would be my wife's turkey dinner. Um, The dessert would be chocolate cream pie, and the beverage would be a Virgil's root beer.
0: All right, perfect. I do love a good turkey dinner. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, one of one. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate having you on. I I will be 100% honest. This went way way better than I thought it was going to. <laughs> I you know, you and I have had you and I've had the the conversations in the DMs and it was just kind of like how how in the world is this going to go? But no, this was this was a fun conversation. Really enjoyed it. And uh yeah, hopefully we'll be we'll be talking to you real soon. And for those that don't know, I'm not sure why they wouldn't. But for those that don't know, where can everyone find everything that you are doing?
2: Oh, sure. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at James One of One, um, and you can you can pick up my book at Amazon in paperback or pretty much anywhere in ebook.
0: All right. Well, again, one of one. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, you guys it. have a great night. You too. You too. A big thank you once again to author Jameis One of One for joining us. Uh, and I, I was being 100 percent sincere. I really did enjoy that conversation. I thought it was a fun one. It went a million times better than than I expected. Um, and yeah, David. Hopefully we we can uh, we can talk to him again soon. Maybe after all of this simmers down. And if nothing else, you know we'll we'll be able to chat with him on Twitter and and things like that. But yeah, that was. That was an, that was a fun and interesting interesting conversation. I thought,
3: yeah, no, it, it really was. And I'll, and I'll tell you the DMs that I've had with him. You know, once we got past kind of the initial encounter, uh, were, we're very similar, and, and you know that's why uh, you know everything kind of built to where it did. Where he left the voicemail, we responded to the voicemail, and then you and he talked out. You know, any perceived differences, and then you know, and we end up with this episode. So you know, it all is well that ends well, and. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm happy that he clarified that what he does and who he is on Twitter is not necessarily a representation of who he is as an individual because and I think the, the same goes for you. Um that's that was my impression of him is his Twitter persona and I told all of and we've told our listeners time and time again everybody is free to be whoever they want to be on Twitter and you know, uh whatever whatever type of representation that is of you as a real human being or not, but when it comes down to just you know throwing you know uh, insults at each other or arguing incessantly with each other, we're not we're not part we're not a part of it, and we're not going to be a part of it. But again, through those DMs and in the voicemail, it was it was made clear um, that 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 would not be the the discourse and. Yeah, I mean, he came on and he kept his word. It was a very entertaining conversation, I thought. Uh, it was very interesting for me to learn kind of the the major backstory. Uh, believe it or not, guys, having pretty much two full-time jobs with our day jobs and this and writing doesn't leave us a lot of time to check out other people's podcasts and, and radio shows all the time. Um, so it's, it's not... Uh, we definitely at least I can speak for me I definitely have honestly never heard any of his other uh interviews until we recently started talking so yeah I mean so credit that up to or knock you know notch that one up to to not knowing somebody fully and that's what social media will do to us we none of us really know each other uh completely but good experience you know um he dm'd me right after I'm sure he dm'd you as well I dm'd him back and thanked him for his time on the show I think that our listeners are going to enjoy it and uh, we're definitely running long, but I think it's worth it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, David, we have a little more business to attend to. And that business, sir, would be our voicemail inbox. So, uh, roll that beautiful bean footage.
1: Hello, gentlemen, Chef Aaron 26. Uh, I was calling in to talk about a certain, uh, quarterback that, uh, his, uh, and I got under the radar, so to speak, and that uh, quarterback, his name is Derek Carr. If you look at his last season and then his 2016 year where he had the MVP caliber year, he virtually had non-existent, well, I shouldn't say non-existent, but a lack there of, off- of offensive weapons. In 2016, he had Amari Cooper who was inconsistent, let's say. He can be one of the best wide receivers in the game, but uh, I think it's about uh, drive, which is what John Gruden hated about him. That's all, all that stuff. And Michael Crabtree, he came alive in his one year with Derek Carr, and uh, he was very accurate down the field. As uh, they would push the ball heavily, as we all know by the scorch job he did in 2016 against us. Last year, he had uh, a second, uh, a number two option in Tyrell. Williams, a fifth-round rookie in Hunter Redbrook, and a 2015 sixth-round draft pick at tight end named Darren Waller, who, outside of this year, never accumulated over 100 yards in any of the seasons that he's in the NFL. I think Derek Carr would be a very good option if the Bucks just decided to go in the uh, opposite direction with Jameis Winston, and I think that he would actually do very well in this system because B.A. would put him in the right position to succeed. And a question for David. What uh, about J.K. Dobbins? uh, Tell me me more about J.K. Dobbins and what would make him a a very good running back and if he would be a very good running back for this system.
0: All right, Chef. Thank you for the call. And yeah, I mean we've we've talked about David. We've talked about Derek Carr quite a bit. Um, And I do think Car would be a solid quarterback in this offense. I think if you take a look at Car pre John Gruden, he was kind of a different guy. I think he could flourish under Bruce Arians. Um, the The problem is, and this goes back to the conversation that that we just had with with J- with one of one. Um, you, you take a look at, at the Bucks putting themselves in a, in a dangerous position. If they swing and they miss on Brady and they swing and they miss on Bridgewater and Jameis decides, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere where I feel where I'm actually wanted and all of these free agent quarterbacks dry up, you're in a situation now where you're going to be starting that rookie, David, as you mentioned, with Eason or, or Love or whoever it is, or you're having to send draft capital to another team, whether that's a Raiders for a car or the Bengals for a, uh, a Dalton, the Lions for a Stafford, whatever the case may be. And and that's, you know, obviously fewer fewer chips you have to be able to build up the rest of the roster the way that they want to. So, you know, the Bucks have to be really, really careful about how they approach this, because if they swing and they miss, this whole thing could come crumbling down in the blink of an eye. Uh, Also, Chef, I'm deeply insulted that you don't want my opinion on Ohio State Buckeye, J.K. Dobbins. And I can't think of one reason why you wouldn't want to know how I feel about Dobby. Uh,
3: I can think of a lot of reasons why I wouldn't want to know how you feel. (laughs) Number one being your bias against anything and everything that comes out of that school. Uh, Excuse me,
0: sir. I had a Joey Galloway jersey. Thank you very much.
3: No, yeah, just saying. J.K. Dobbins is essentially a better out of the package, meaning as a rookie, um, and higher upside. Peyton Barber, like he is a very good runner. He's a very solid runner. He's not afraid of contact. Uh, he, he's he's a one cut guy. You know what I mean? He's gonna he's gonna get the ball. He's gonna survey the field. He's gonna make a decision on where to go. And he's going to go there if if it if it gets clogged up on his way there it's it's really not something that you know he doesn't have that kind of start and stop ability uh to where he can he can react to a second mover or third mover or whatever he's not a guy like if you're going to try to get him on the edge you got to get him on the edge quickly and by design he's not a guy that at least right now i see being able to you know you're supposed to hit this gap but instead, you kick it out wide and you run around the defense and and take advantage of maybe some over-pursuit, stuff like that. I don't really think he's going to have that. He's got two, maybe three gears. And I know that all, all that kind of sounds negative, right? But listen, there's a reason why he's the third, maybe fourth best running back in this class. And if Travis Etienne had come out, he would be the fourth, maybe fifth best back in this class. Uh, serviceable guy, but he's got to be in the right system. And, Chef, you kind of hit on that. Behind an offensive line like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have right now, I mean, you got guys like DeMar Dotson who came out and flat out just said, I don't like run blocking. Well, what are the chances he's the only guy on that offensive line that feels that way? Obviously, we have coaches for a reason, so they got to get these guys motivated to run block. But yeah, JK is, he's the kind of guy, at least in his rookie year, we can see how he develops. I mean, you know, Le'Veon Bell came out. A lot of people did not expect Le'Veon to turn into the kind of pro running back that he did as you know, he built his Steelers career towards his holdout year, and then we'll see what happens now in his second year with the Jets and, and how that moves on. But nobody really expected Lev Bell to turn into this kind of Swiss Army knife, do-it-all running back when he came out of Michigan State. So J.K. could turn into that guy. He could work on you know his footwork, his agility. Maybe it's just not something that was asked of him uh, at Ohio State. And I'll tell you, with Ezekiel Elliott – a lot of those things that he does now in the NFL were not asked of him at Ohio State and in Columbus. But, James, you remember we were we were working together. We weren't doing podcasts, but we were definitely working together. And I even said uh, – or maybe we weren't actually. But anyway, I said that Ezekiel Elliott uh, is a more rounded running back, a better talented running back than most people are giving him credit for because of how Urban Meyer used him in that Ohio State offense. Um, There were moments, if you paid attention closely to the Buckeyes, which of course I do, but even going into that year's NFL draft, running back being one of my favorite positions, so one of the ones I enjoy breaking down the most – uh, he showed that ability to bounce if he needed to. He showed the ability to make guys miss in a small, confined area if he needed to. He showed the ability to pass block. He showed the ability to run routes, showed the ability to catch the ball. All these things that he's doing now at Dallas where a lot of people, when he was drafted so high, a lot of people said, why would you draft a guy so high? And, I rem- and that reminds me of Leonard Fournette. When Leonard Fournette was drafted as high as he was, I said – why would you draft this guy so high? Because guess what Leonard Fournette never showed in college and hasn't shown as a pro? The ability to do all of those different things. Basically what he does is the same thing Derrick Henry does. difference is Derrick Henry does it a lot better than Leonard Fournette does, at least up to this point. And J.K. is going to be a similar type of guy, at least in the beginning part of his career, where he's got kind of one thing that he does, which is get the ball, hit a hole, hit it hard, and it's either going to break or it's going to bust. If it breaks, then he's it's going to be beautiful. But if it busts, then you know he doesn't have a whole lot to his repertoire right now that's gonna help him get out of that situation. Again, could it develop into it? Yeah. I'm not saying that it won't, but right onto the surface, that's why you've got guys that are being looked at ahead of him, like Swift, uh, like like Clyde Edwards Alaire, because they've got already that, they've already got that kind of versatility kind of built into them, uh, stuff like that. So love JK. I think he's gonna have a, a very long NFL career if he can stay healthy he's a good complimentary back. So whether or not he could fit with the Buccaneers, Rojo kind of a slice and dice type of guy or a smash and dash kind of, kind of tandem. Yes, it could work, but it's not going to be, I don't think he's as dynamic as maybe some casual college football fans are thinking he is. Um, hope I'm wrong though. Cause you know, I love JK,
0: you know, for the record, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little hurt by you saying that I can't put my bias aside to, to talk about JK Dobbins. Because I honestly wouldn't mind if the Bucs take J.K. Dobbins. I truly wouldn't. And there is audio evidence buried somewhere of my support of the Buccaneers drafting Von Bell, which they did not. But, you know, I was wrong on that one. And I also wanted Malik Hooker. I'm just saying, when it comes to the NFL, I no longer care what college you came out of. If you're a Buccaneer, I want you to succeed. But if you're a Buckeye, I want you to fail miserably. That's just that's how
3: it is. Yes, that's very true. I'm just joshing you. It's an Ohio phrase, joshing you.
0: It is an Ohio phrase that I don't use.
3: Yeah, I mean, I use it when I make fun of Ohio phrases. That's hurtful.
0: The other, the other one we get made fun of a lot is we call soda pop. And apparently, I'm that's never, a weird I'm thing. Never,
3: I don't know. I don't care what everybody calls soda or pop or what. I don't. Yeah, I've heard those conversations yeah. before. I couldn't care less what you call it. Yeah, it's it's pop. That's cool. just that's just
0: how it is. Next voicemail, and I think I know who this is from. Greco.
1: Hey, you guys, David, James, it's Greco. I'm checking out the news, man. I just saw that Tom Hanks and his wife have coronavirus. So I know it's not necessarily a bucks thing, but you know they're talking about all these sporting events being emptied out with nobody there to play, you know, nobody there to watch and stuff. So, you know, this isn't the football season yet, but there's events going along, which had me asked this question. Could you watch a football game with no crowd there? I mean, that sounds like a Bucks home game anyway, but think about that, because we might be headed towards that real soon, like real, real, real quick, with a whole lot of sporting events. So, anyway, so I started it up there. Hope you guys are safe. Hope your families are safe, and uh, keep doing your thing. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. All
0: right, Greco, appreciate the call. Now, for full transparency, Greco sent that voicemail in on Wednesday night. It is now Thursday night when we're recording this. So, since Greco sent that in, of course, we've seen the NBA. Uh, postpone their season. The NHL has postponed their season. The NCAA has canceled March Madness. Um, yeah, there, there's the XFL uh, has has canceled the rest of their season, which is is heartbreaking because being an upstart league, you don't know if they're actually going to be able to bounce back from something like that. Uh, hopefully, they can. But you know, and then you know, to, to bring it back to Tampa Bay. Raymond James Stadium is supposed to be hosting WrestleMania in just a couple of weeks. You know, the granddaddy of them all. Uh, my dad, for years and years and years, worked in the cable business, and the single busiest day they had every single year was WrestleMania day. Um, so that that's another huge, huge event that's probably going to get postponed or canceled in, in some capacity. So the thing about all the the coronavirus stuff is, it is serious. It, it and people, I, I heard somebody on Sirius XM NHL radio today say, "I hope we can look back on this and say we overreacted. What we don't want to do is look back on this and say we should have reacted stronger. The best way to avoid the spread of this right now for for what we know is to avoid large gatherings. That's just how it is. My kids have been taken out of school for the next three weeks, yeah, you know, on on Tuesday. I was all excited because one of my son's assistant coaches gave us his club seats for the lightning and blue jackets game on April 2nd, the very next day they announced that there's going to be no fans at NHL games. Of course, now the season has been suspended. My son's end of year hockey party. has been canceled. We had rented out uh, an ice rink for an hour and you know, they, the place where we rented it out has, has shut down operations because it's a, it's a rec center. You have people there playing basketball and working out and taking yoga classes and ice skating and swimming and, and all kinds of things. And they've shut it down because they don't want the gatherings. Um, so it is a serious thing. Now, as far as the NFL is concerned, I don't think I could be wrong. Obviously, you know, this is all so it's such foreign territory. I don't think this is going to spill all the way over to the NFL season. I don't think we're going to be in a situation where we see the NFL season postponed or playing in empty stadiums or anything like that. The the biggest impact that this is going to have, they've already canceled their their spring meetings and so now those are going to get moved to the the meetings in May. And you have the NFL draft in Las Vegas in April. So there's no way that they're going to go ahead and go forward with this with this draft party in Vegas. I don't think it can happen. What we will likely see is an old-school draft. You're going to have team representatives in a conference room, and the GMs and the coaches are still going to call the reps. They're going to give the pick to the commissioner. The commissioner is going to announce it. It'll still be on TV, but there's going to be no fans. There's going to be no players walking up and meeting Goodell and putting on the hat or anything like that. That's how that's going to go um i don't think this should affect the start of the league year on wednesday because the majority of this stuff when you really get down to it aside from the few players that kind of go on a visit tour and i think tom brady would have been one of those is you're you're working these deals with agents over the phone anyway you know, teams have pulled their scouts off the road. They're telling people to work from home, but they're all saying we're gonna continue business as usual, we're just doing it remotely. So I don't think this is gonna affect the the legal tampering period. It's not gonna affect, you know, parts of free agency because a lot of this is done without face to face contact to begin with. Now, again, somebody like Tom Brady, somebody like Philip Rivers, somebody like Teddy Bridgewater, you know, these these big names that are going to be sought after, you know, Brady's probably going to want to go visit the Titans. He's going to want to go visit the Chargers and visit the Buccaneers. So that's going to be put on hold a little bit, which also makes, you know, this whole situation a little more interesting because now you've added another layer of waiting. So these teams that are in the quarterback market are having to put basically the rest of their offseason plans on hold. So these other free agents are going to be getting scooped up because these teams don't know what they're going to be doing or what they're going to afford or be able to afford to do at the quarterback position. So it's, it's a tricky situation, but I think ultimately these, these corporations are making the right decision. You have to stop the mass gatherings. It is something that can be tracked via the air. So, you know, yes, it's, it's a strain of the flu. But it's a strain of the flu that we haven't had to deal with before. We don't have the the proper care to be able to vaccinate against it or or treat it. And on most of these people that contract it, it runs its course and they're fine. But it is incredibly serious for those that are not in great health or are older or are, you know, newborns or infants if they were to get it. So I don't think ultimately it's going to really affect what the NFL is doing at this moment in the calendar. Outside of the NFL draft
3: yeah, I mean I subscribe to the theory of prepare for the worst, hope for the best, um, and you never underestimate your opponent, you know um, so yeah, at the end of the day with any crisis doesn't matter if it's a virus or anything else, you want to you want to look back on it and say that you were more prepared than you had to be, you had more resources dedicated to that threat than you had to than you had to dedicate and uh that you know you you came out with with a with a excess of, of materials, money, effort, whatever you want to call it. Uh you want to have excess left over when everything is said and done versus running out of ideas, running out of provisions, running out of courses of action uh because you got defeated by whatever it is. Um and, and I know, you know, not everybody is is, you know, not everybody takes it as seriously as as some people do. Some people are in kind of like full-blown, you know, hunker down and don't leave your house type of mode. And some people are laughing it off and and joining in the streets of Dayton having block parties. Um, you know, react to it the way that I guess that you you will. I can't tell you to do it any differently. Um, but I would err on the side of caution just because for the most part, um, if you're not taking it seriously, the things that you're doing to show that you're not taking it seriously aren't worth the potential of being wrong. Um, and if you're wrong, you're going to regret it and you're going to regret not taking it seriously, I suppose. So, you know, it's, it's, again, it's kind of an error on the side of caution type of deal. Um, but you know, so, it, so it is what it is. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm obviously, and I, and I don't think Greco isn't, but I'm more concerned about, you know, the, the safety and welfare of all involved than I am about, uh, whether or not, you know, we get to go to Las Vegas for an NFL draft or, uh, you know, uh, so on and so forth. As far as watching football games without crowds in the stadiums or without crowd noise. Yes, I would watch it because I watch it every week during the season. I watch it pretty much every week, at least once or twice a week uh, during the off season because I watch a lot of all 22, um, which is literally football without crowd noise. So, yes, I would. Um, For the draft, though, you know what? So, I don't think that the NFL draft would go old school in the sense you're talking about, where there's like a conference room with a bunch of team reps in there, because that's too many people. I think it would go digital. And you would have the league office online and everybody else would be online on a private server that somebody would surely hack and cause all kinds of mayhem And, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the networks would do, you know, like, I don't know if you put like Daniel Jeremiah on NFL network and like, as the picks come in, like basically he reads them off to the NFL network. I don't, I don't know how it would work. Um, I would watch it if, if anything, I would watch it because, you know, 20 years from now, uh, Thirty years from now, however long, when they do like a NFL, you know, NFL Films movie about the 2020 coronavirus off season, you know, uh, it would be fun to to watch that documentary and kind of relive those moments. And be like, oh yeah, I remember that, and oh yeah, I remember that. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's what we're for one, it's what we're paid to do, you know, James and I, you know, with with a lot of people use sports to get rid of of everyday stresses and to escape the real world, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so you know, if if we can provide a little bit of that time and that solace for for any of you who might be stressed out more than some others, then we're happy to do so. Uh, that's that's number one. Um, you know, uh, number two, uh, we're kind of contractually obligated to do so. So.
0: That is going to do it for this episode. Please continue sending your voicemails to 813 444 5841. Check out everything going on over at bucksnation.com. Make sure you're following along on Twitter at lockedonbucks at jarco underscore bucks, at dh82 underscore bucks, and at bucks underscore nation. One more time, thank you to our guest, one of one. You can find him at Jameis one of one on Twitter. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding weekend. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't take all the soap away from other people because they got to wash their hands, too. And just be smart. All right. That's all we ask. We want all of you coming back next week and the week after and the week after. We'll get through this. Just be smart. Be kind to one another and keep yourself clean.
3: Thank you so much for joining us right here. Even after coronavirus goes away
0: yeah yeah don't stop washing your hands just because the coronavirus also fun tip if you're in a public restroom after you wash your hands and you dry your (laughs) hands off with the paper towel use that same paper towel to open the door then hold it with your foot for a second toss the paper towel away and then walk out because there's still a lot of gross people out there that don't wash their hands after they go to the bathroom then they grab that door handle. So all that hand washing that you just did try to keep everybody around you as well as yourself healthy, yeah, right out the window when you touch that door handle. Use the paper towel. Open the door. I just helped you out. You're welcome. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding weekend, and we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks.